0: No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 303 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Good news today, the return of author Chris Wood, who has researched and written today's episode. Thank you so much, Chris. The story comes from Herefordshire, and it is, I think, a genuinely frightening story. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters at Patreon. But especially the new members of our community, that is, Matrix, Carol Percy, Chris Teasdale, Tasha Blanco Dominez, and Lisa Holdsworth. Thank you so much for joining us at Patreon. Much appreciated. I'm so pleased that this podcast is again sponsored by Harry's. When Harry's started sponsoring my show a few years back, I switched to their products, and I haven't looked back since. The weighted handle really helps as does the excellent trimmer blade, none of those horrible miss bits. And I'm a huge fan of the Hydrating Night Lotion, which has made such a difference to the freshness of my skin, a massive difference. The good news today is that you can start your journey with Harry's too. Support my podcast and start your own skincare journey by redeeming a free Harry's trial set. This includes an expertly engineered weighted handle, one five-blade cartridge crafted by artisans in Harry's own German factory, complete with precision trimmer, a handy foaming shave gel for effective lubrication and a travel blade cover for life's adventures. To get your hands on this great Harry's trial set, all you need to do is cover the £3.95 for delivery. Just head to harrys.com slash Podcast and have your trial set and free night lotion delivered to your door. That's com slash podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Noom. If you're looking for a better, healthier weight loss that starts in the mind, you need to look at Noom's psychology-based approach. 80% of people actually complete the program and you ask yourself, why is this? To me, it's straightforward because instead of demanding a new lifestyle, Noom helps you understand your own mind and body and that provides the long-term results we're all looking for. One aspect of this for me was not shopping when hungry because it induced some really poor choices. And then I used to balance it with short-term fads. I recall a horrible onion diet once. Well, it really wasn't very good at all. As I was always hungry and so eating other stuff all the time. Since using Noom, I have a totally different approach to food. Just because I eat an unhealthy meal during the day doesn't mean that the whole day is a write-off by me making further bad choices. Nothing's off limits. And as Noom only takes 10 minutes my day, I can easily build it into my routine, as can you. Lose the weight for good. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash UKTCpod. That's noom.com slash UKTCpod. Okay, let's set some context for today's story with our guest the month and year game. Forget work, sport or anything else, this is your opportunity to really excel. The UK top spot was held by Shakira, featuring Wyclef Jean with The Hips Don't Lie. Quite. In the US, it was Promiscuous at the Summit from Nelly Furtado featuring Timberland. And in Australia, it was Eskimo Joe with the top album this week, Black Fingernails, Red Wine. In the news this month, those of you able to stay awake for the duration saw Michael Schumacher win the US F1 Grand Prix for the fifth time. Thrilling. The world's longest-running music show, Top of the Pops, was broadcast for the last time on BBC Two. The show aired for 42 years, can you believe it? And President George W. Bush (laughs) greeted Tony Blair with the phrase Yo Blair! Gotta love politicians, right? Hmm, sort of. Scottish Socialist Party, MSP, Tommy Sheridan, began an action for defamation against the News of the World at the Court of Session in Edinburgh. Sheridan's case was upheld, but he was later prosecuted for perjury, if you recall. Finally, this month saw the death of Yorkshire cricketing legend Fred Truman and British chess champion Jesse Gilbert He died at just 29 years old. So did you guess the month and year? It was July 2006. Lionshaw is one of those picture-perfect places, with a caring rural community at its heart and surrounded by glorious hilly countryside. And surrounded by glorious hilly countryside. A bit like Milton Keynes. Set in the northwest corner of Herefordshire, it lies close to the Welsh border, and covers around 5,000 acres, with a population of around 750. The village is situated on the Black and White Village Trail, which if you haven't had the pleasure of seeing before, it really is a unique and charming experience, which takes in several old villages, made up of many timbered and half-timbered houses, several dating back to medieval times. These properties help to create a very distinctive impression, and offer a window back to a different time. And despite its natural beauty, Lianshul is certainly not a place which is bustling with action. A bridge club is held in the Memorial Hall on a Tuesday evening, and once a month, a group of Lianshul ladies go to lunch. Certainly this village is not a typical place to be featured on the UK True Crime podcast, its crime rate barely causing even the slightest ripple. Yet it was here, in this idyllic spot, that the village bore witness to as grisly and disturbing a crime as you can imagine, belying the tranquility of the area and plunging the village into fear. 75-year-old Doug Morgan lived happily in the village with wife Valerie. The couple lived in a beautiful detached property, much like the properties belonging to the black and white trail. The half-timbered cottage was a gatehouse to a characterful estate. The property was a dream for both Doug and Valerie, a move prompted just two years before due to Doug's ill health, with Doug undergoing a triple heart bypass. Sometimes a trauma like this can provide us with a renewed vigour and outlook towards what we are doing and why, serving as a new lease of life and an attitude to enjoy the moment and perhaps do some of those things where, where previously you may not have done for various reasons. Traumatic and unpleasant events do that, don't they? I was the same after listening to The Kings of Leon on the radio once. It just made me realise that life is too short. The delightful surroundings where the Morgans had made home could not be in stark contrast to the violent events of the early hours of Monday, the 3rd of July, 2006. Like this year, in 2006, much of Britain was basking in a sweltering summer you know, the type, the ones we all complained about for being uncomfortably hot, stopping us sleeping, despite spending the rest of the time moaning about the cold. The Morgans had enjoyed a peaceful evening together and were getting themselves ready for bed. All was well. The gardens outside were blooming fully, the air was warm and comfortable, and only thoughts of what the next day would bring occupied their minds as they routinely prepared themselves for bed. Little did the pair know that outside lurking in the moonlight crept an intruder with far more sinister actions in mind. Any opportunistic lurkers in the shadows certainly chose their night well. Many people had been leaving their windows ajar due to the oppressive heat. Yet not everyone of this persuasion had robbery on their minds. One man and this is barely fathomable for me to even say, was seemingly interested in only one thing. Cannibalism. The time had just passed 1am. The intruder had spotted his opportunity and noisily bundled his way through the open lounge window. His less than discreet action suggested he was not particularly concerned with maintaining his anonymity. Alerted to the noises of breaking glass by his wife Valerie, Doug crept from his bedroom and made his way downstairs to investigate just what was going on. Any hopes that the noises were the result of some innocent explanation were soon quashed, as Doug was pounced upon and violently punched about the body. Doug was in a state of dumbfounded terror, and before he could regain any semblance of composure, his attacker launched a further sickening twist to an already horrific attack As he began to gnaw and bite at Doug's face and upper body, the vicious assault continued as the pensioner valiantly tried to fend off his attacker. And it was perhaps at this part of the struggle that the man then grabbed Doug's hand and bit through his thumb, severing it completely. Valerie, terrified by the screams of her husband, had sensibly barricaded herself in the bathroom to prevent herself from also falling victim. this crazed stranger. The image of this attack is a truly sickening and nightmarish thing and as if to add to the surreal nature of what was happening, throughout the attack the man was simply laughing hysterically at what he was doing to Doug. The assault continued as the man tore off the left nipple of Doug's body and relentlessly continued trying to tear chunks from his face and his body. The police had been called and when P.C. Norris arrived at the scene, Doug had mercifully passed out, owing to the shock he had suffered. But even at this point, with the blood-drenched victim prone on the floor, the policeman had to drag the man off Doug, which prompted the attacker to come face-to-face with the officer. Norris challenged a man who simply snarled at him and, as if he was offering a warning He bared his blood-soaked teeth. Norris composed himself before using his CS gas spray to subdue this wild intruder. The man was then taken to a police station where his subsequent behaviour was described as irrational in the extreme. As you'll doubtless be expecting, silence of the Lamb comparisons abounded with this dreadful case and sure enough one police source reported that the scene they arrived at resembled the actions of the cannibal Hannibal Lecter. There was blood on the walls and the guy was just laughing like a maniac, the source claimed. Doug was swiftly taken to Bristol's French A Hospital, where he was in a serious but stable condition. His wife Valerie was at his hospital bedside, her mind surely unable to shake the random savagery which had befallen her husband were in their dream cottage, their safe place, their home. And understandably, fellow residents of the area were shocked to the core when the horrible news of the attack began to filter around. Try to imagine hearing such news from your own community, your street. It would be fairly incomprehensible, wouldn't it? If there was any positive to be taken from the episode, it was that the attacker was not still roaming around the village looking for other victims. But nonetheless, police took the step of sending a team of officers to the village in order to try and reassure locals about the nature of the attack and that it was not an incident that would be repeated. They reiterated that the previous night's occurrences had been a highly unusual and random attack, that they had the man responsible in their control. One neighbour who did not wish to be named, told a reporter that everyone is scared witness. There is talk of a cannibal attack in the village and no one can quite take it in. The old chap lived here peacefully with his wife, then someone jumped through his window and bit off his thumb. It doesn't bear thinking about. It was soon confirmed that Doug had suffered severe bite wounds and had completely lost his thumb as well as several pieces of flesh from his face and his body. These were the physical remnants from the attack, but to consider the psychological damage is difficult to imagine. Of course, a contributory factor to the psychological torment stems from the question of why. Just why had a pensioner been targeted in such brutal circumstances? During the investigations, it quickly became apparent to police that the intruder had not been particularly bothered about concealing himself. Prior to launching himself upon Doug, he'd smashed a windscreen of the couple's silvo Renault McGann, which had been parked outside, before also smashing items from the garden shed, hardly the actions of someone that was trying to remain hidden. The vandalism had not ended here. The attacker had also smashed windows in the living room and the kitchen. The man with no apparent motive was 26-year-old Slovakian national Jack Omatak, and he was local to the area, having lived in Hereford. Police quickly understood that Omatak had literally no connection to the victim or his wife, but indicated there were some underlying issues. The police source said, It was a bizarre and appalling attack on an old man. We have no idea why the attacker chose their house, but there are mental health issues in this case. Mr Morgan put up a brave fight, but was set about in a cannibalistic way. His thumb could not be sewn back on, because the attacker had literally eaten it. Omatek was immediately remanded in custody, where he'd undergo a range of psychiatric tests in preparation for his court case. It would be almost a year following the episode, until Omatek's trial began, a two-day affair at Hereford Crown Court which began on Monday, the second of April, 2007. The case was unusual, not just in the details of what happened, but also in that Omatak had pleaded not guilty. Although he admitted the facts of the night in question, he denied attempted murder or wounding with intent by reason of insanity. Andrew Lockhart, for the prosecution, opened the court proceedings by telling the jury that both the crown and Omitak's defence agreed that the Savakian was responsible for Doug Morgan's injuries, but essentially he was not in a fit state of mind when carrying out the attack. The reason the defendant pleaded not guilty, said Lockhart, is that it will be asserted not that he didn't do the acts that we say he did, but that at the time he did them he was insane in law. What is in issue is the state of mind of his defendant at the time. Lockhart also asked a jury of six men and six women to steel themselves for some very unpleasant details that they would encounter throughout the trial. The court was told that Omatak had arrived in the UK some 18 months previously, when he took a job working at a joinery firm in Herefordshire. Omatak was initially considered a fairly unassuming character amongst his fellow work colleagues, But the jury were told that these same colleagues began to notice a subtle change in his behaviour in mid-June 2006, just weeks before the attack. At that stage, he began to demonstrate a much more aggressive and argumentative side to his character. On the 27th of June, Omatak decided to hand in his notice, after telling his manager that he had a mission to complete. Whether or not this mission was the attack that he carried out on Doug was never fully established, but it seems highly likely to have been. So it was then that Prosecution Barrister Lockhart began to outline the facts of the case in terms of the chronology of occurrences. He told the jury, At about one in the morning, Mr Morgan was awoken by his wife as she could hear the noise downstairs of breaking glass. He went downstairs and towards the kitchen. He tried to put the light on and it wouldn't come on. Mr Morgan went through the house and straight to the telephone and rang 999. When Mr Morgan first saw him, the defendant was on the kitchen draining board, screaming in a foreign language. He describes like someone demented. It was at this point that the defendant had begun striking the pensioner with part of a lamp which he had broken this having fused the lights inside the house. Mr Morgan was then struck to the back of the head, knocking him to the ground. The defendant then continued to rain blows down on Mr Morgan, who did his best to avoid these as he lay on the floor. As the attack continued, the defendant was making animal-like noises, ranting and yelling at the victim. Then, the barrister added, the biting began. Mr Morgan tried to push the defendant from him with his right hand, but Omatak grabbed it and put it in his mouth. Omatak then began to bite down hard. That biting went on for some time and Mr Morgan's thumb was bitten clean off. The image of the attack is disturbing enough, but the court also heard how the sound of the assault was likened by a policeman to that of a fox screaming and a dog gnawing voraciously at a bone. Initially, the officer was sure the noise was indeed that of a fox screaming somewhere close by. It must have been just utterly horrendous. On the 4th of April, it was a turn of the court to hear the defence for Om attack, As we have already heard, he didn't deny his actions. Rather, the issue for the defence was to assert that he'd acted in such a way that it could only be considered insane and he was thus suffering from a serious mental health condition. Peter Cook defending said it is unlike a classic not guilty verdict it is a verdict that empowers the court to deal with a defendant with mental illness by making an appropriate hospital order no one is asking the jury to make a verdict that would allow this man to walk free and here lies another difference to most cases we hear about on this podcast both the defense and the prosecution accepted that the perpetrator could not walk free following the shocking incident Of course, if Omatak's defence were to obtain his verdict of insanity, such a diagnosis could only be formed following the relevant assessments conducted by a range of psychiatrists. And during Omitak's time on remand, he was the subject of several assessments conducted by mental health professionals. Dr Nat Rowe was one of these, and concluded, It is my view that Omitak satisfies the criteria for a defence of insanity. He was suffering from a disease of the mind and did not know the nature and quality of the act he was doing or that what he was doing was wrong. Certainly, when the court were told of the apparent reasoning behind the attack, it would be difficult to argue with the psychiatrist's opinion. The assaults claimed the defense was motivated by a belief that Omatak was in mortal combat with a supernatural beast that he had to overcome, and it was for this reason that he acted so viciously towards Doug Morgan on that evening. Jurors were also told that Omatak had been experiencing strange sensations of electricity in his mind and had also been hearing voices. With all of this, the defence reiterated that it was their belief that Omatak was clinically insane and suffering from a serious mental health condition. On the 5th of April, the jury was sent out to decide the culpability or otherwise, of Jan Omatak's actions. Jurors would not leave the vast number of assembled journalists in anticipation for too long. They took 90 minutes to clear Jan Omatak of the attempted murder of Doug Morgan, agreeing with Cook's defence that Omatak had been insane at the time of the offence and thus finding him not guilty. The judge who presided over the case sentenced on attack to a hospital order and asserted he should not be released until a mental health tribunal or the Home Secretary had ruled his release to be safe. In summarising what the court had heard, the judge was eager to praise the bravery of Paul Norris, the police officer who had been at the scene first and managed to subdue and ultimately handcuff on attack. As we know, the police are not always favourably looked upon, and in some cases understandably so. But nevertheless, the fact should not be overlooked that everyday police officers are constantly thrust into dangerous situations and have to deal with aggression and confrontation that's almost impossible for others to comprehend. This is a case in point. Imagine being on duty that evening in Leonshaw, a fundamentally quiet and serene place where well, the most challenging thing facing officers would be perhaps dealing with speeding motorists or other low-level crime. But instead, PC Paul Norris came face to face with a snarling and wild man intent on this most horrible of crimes and with vital backup some time away. Indeed, the judge went further saying that Norris's intervention that night was very likely to have saved Doug Morgan's life. Paul Norris himself adopted a very understated approach in the face of this praise, saying he was just doing his job. Be that as it may, he was awarded a Chief Constable's commendation for bravery by West Mercia Police. And so to the victim, Doug Morgan. He could, of course, following this attack, be forgiven for harbouring vengeful feelings towards his attacker. During a victim impact statement read to the court Doug stated that his physical injuries received that night were a constant reminder of what had happened in his own home. He described how he could feel himself becoming weaker and weaker during the attack, and that even now he still has flashbacks. However, although expressing concern that Omatak may one day be released, Doug said, I hope that he makes a full recovery and goes on to live a good and honest life. Both Doug and his wife Valerie accepted that Omatak was very ill in doing what he did. Humility indeed, I think. And the judge described the statement as inspirational. In July 2012, immigration judges ruled that Jan Omatak could still not be deported from the UK, despite still being, at that time, assessed as a serious threat. The Special Immigration Tribunal ruled that despite concerns over the genuine present, and sufficiently serious threat that Omatak still posed, he could not be sent back to Slovakia. So what do you make of what we've heard today? The actions of Jan Omatak truly were of a terrifying nature, and certainly strike fear into me and you, I imagine. As such cases bring home again the often random nature of crime, and how any of us can be the victims of the most terrible of crimes at any time, often unexpected. It does, of course, also open conversations around the issues of mental health and how individuals suffering with mental health ought to be dealt with following their transgressions of the law such as the one committed in the story today. The case, said the judge at the conclusion of the trial, was the most terrifying to have ever come before him. But if the victim of such an attack is able to demonstrate the goodwill as that shown by Doug Morgan, it does perhaps also exhibit a strength of humanity that maybe gives us some hope in these difficult times that we're currently living through. I'm not so sure that I would be able to be so forgiving. Would you? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast please head to the UK True Crime Facebook group to discuss this story and all other aspects of UK True Crime 24-7. There are almost 85,000 of us there. Just search UK True Crime and join the conversation. It's many things, (laughs) but it's never dull. And to support the show and get access to over 50 bonus episodes, including this week's about the very mysterious disappearance of Lee Boxall in South London, and loads more exclusive content, just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime, where for as little as £1 a month, you can join our community. It makes a great present for someone. Just saying. Okay, so that's all for me today. Thanks again, Chris Wood, for a great story. And if you're at CrimeCon in Glasgow at the weekend, I'll be in the hotel bar on the Friday night, and at my stand all of Saturday so please do come and say hi, and remember, it's your round. If you aren't at CrimeCon, I'll speak to you again next Tuesday. Until then, please do take it easy, and despite all the others, please stay classy. Cheerio for now. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.